Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michaud, and welcome to the Jupiter Kazemi uh, Q&A that we're doing today. I thought I would pop in here today and, and take any of your questions and just hang out with you today and see how you're all doing. Um, I hope that you're all doing well out there. Uh, let me know where you're joining me from in the chat today. I always enjoy hearing how you're all doing and where you're joining me from, from whatever corner of the world that you're joining today. Um, this is something that I wanted to do to kind of like just hold space for all of you today. I know that we're going through a lot as a community, as a world community right now. And um, I thought I would celebrate this wonderful Kazemi moment that we're experiencing with Jupiter conjoining with the sun uh, over the course of the next 24 hours or so. And um, see if we can put some some good out into the world and, and some good intentions, uh, share some knowledge and some wisdom. So I, I'm very happy to be joining all of you today. Please let me know how the uh, how the stream is going. I'm testing out a new setting so that we can uh, see all of your your chats in real time. So hopefully that's reaching you uh, in in real time. Um, we've got Tarya that is popping in for an hour. Yeah, I think we're gonna go about an hour here today, Tarya. Thank you for joining me from from Finland. So enjoying that. Um, yeah, this can be really, it's sort of open-ended. I didn't have a huge plan for this. I thought we could maybe talk about maybe the Deccans or the Tarot. Uh, I have some book recommendations for you potentially. I've been collecting some more books recently and I wanted to share those uh, a little bit. Um, if you have any questions about fixed stars, uh, even if it could be like a, a personal question about your chart, feel free to throw your information up there in the in the chat box and I'll, I'll pull a chart up and, and take a look for you. Uh, Lynn McMillan is here. Uh, thank you, Lynn, for coming and for your support today. Uh, enjoy seeing all these faces here. Dimphy is joining us from the Netherlands. Thank you, Dimphy, for being here with us today. Um, my heart is with all of you and all of you in Europe today and, and around the world. Uh, Scandinavian friends as well. I know that we're going through a, almost a, a little bit of a dark night of the soul here. Um, but hopefully we can we can put some healing out into the world. We've got Raven Gray is joining us. Hello, Cosmic Crew. They say um, Lynn is excited about the books. Fionn is here from Ireland. Uh, it's, it's so good to see all of you um, stopping in here today. Uh, so if you're joining us, let me know you're here in the chat. Any questions that you would like answered as far as just astrology technique, um, it can be personal to your chart. If you are curious about the books that I have, I, I, I am a big book uh, aficionado here and I've been um, collecting more books than I can possibly read in real time, but I think it's more about building a, a reference library on some level. Um, I wanted to share before we dive in a couple of my favorite new books that I've been reading and that just came in the mail. Um, and I'm just seeing more people stopping in. Bonnie is, is uh, here for a brief hello from uh, from unseated Tong, Tongva, uh, sunny Santa Monica. Thank you for joining us, Bonnie. Um, I'm just going to share here that we've got th this author that I th I'm really excited about is uh, Carl Karenyi, is a mythological author. He was a, a mythographer from kind of the, the early 20th century. He was a German author who wrote a lot about uh, myth and did some really in-depth treatments of various topics. So I got a, a, a kind of a collection of his work here. 
he did a really deep dive on Dionysus, and I, I kind of got inspired to uh, acquire this book after doing my Pisces Deccans research because there's a lot of um, significations related to Dionysus that kept coming up in author's treatment of Pisces. So I wanted to do a deep dive here. Um, and I figured I would get the collection. He's got the, the, Ulysse, the uh, Ulysses, uh, Ulysses Mysteries here. <laughs> Ulyssean, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Sorry if I'm butchering that. I got a book on Prometheus that he wrote uh, that if, if you've been following along on my channel here, uh, I've been talking about Prometheus related to Aquarius and 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 sometimes with related to Uranus in the way that Richard Tarnas uh, has been utilizing the myth um, in regards to that planet. And uh, let's see, a couple other ones that I wanted to share. The Gods of the Greeks is really great. These are all Carl uh, Carl Carigne, and uh, he's got some really good stuff. Hermes and Athena treatments here. And then there's one that I'm missing that's uh, the, uh, an Asclepius book that is very difficult to find, but I'm sure I'll track it down eventually. So those are, those are what I'm, I'm reading lately. I'm kind of, kind of skimming through bits and pieces here and there and trying to carve out some time to really dive in. Um, we've got a few people coming in on the chat here. Fianna is saying, what is your favorite timing technique? That is a great question, Fian. Uh, I really enjoy utilizing annual perfections. Um, I, that's a Hellenistic technique where you look at the, the Lord of the year based on a ch uh, a, the year that you were born here. I'm going to I'll pull up a chart here and I'll show you what I'm talking about, try to demonstrate this. So let's say we're looking at this person who would be born at this moment. This is the, the real time clock we're experiencing. And let's say that they are, oh, I don't know, 24 years old. And what we would do is we would take the, the zero to one and then one to two year old time frame, and we look at the, the planet that is ruling a specific uh, house that is related to that time frame. So we got zero to one, one to two, two to three, three to four related to the fourth house here. And it circles back around and we have these kind of cycles that relate to age 12 for the first house, age 24, age 36, and age 48, and then so on and so forth around the wheel. So if I was looking at someone's uh, annual perfection for the year, and they were 24 years old, I would look at the first house, and I would say, oh, the moon is your time lord for this year. So I would, I would really break down the themes that were related to the moon in their chart. I would look at the new and the full moons for that particular year and, and which topics they would bring up based on the placement of that new and that full moon. Um, and then I would, I would look at the decans uh, that were related to that as well, both in the solar return chart and in the natal chart. So like in this clock here, we've got an Aries one moon. So I would pull the two of wands for if this was a client. And I would talk about the moon in the 10th house and related to the two of wands. Um, and this Deccan is sort of related to uh, severing and separating from the collective or the, the mother womb to, to create an individual consciousness. So if, if you were a client born at this moment and you were 24 years into the future, you'd probably have a year that would be guided by the uh, the necessity to individuate 
and to kind of separate from maybe things that you had relied on in the past to carve your own identity. Um, so that's one of my favorite ones. I do look at transits for the year, but when I do a transit report for people, whether I like to do it in three and six month increments, um, I, I, I find that, that there's just so much going on in those times that there, that's, it's actionable to be able to do it in that time frame. Uh, so I wanted to uh, show you here that what I would do if I was looking at your transits for the year, I would look at your solar return chart. So let's just say we have, this is the, a transit chart, but let's say we looked at the solar return chart. And that's basically related to when, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you my own chart here uh, and use myself as an example. So that's my natal chart. And then we open a chart. Uh, that's my daughter's chart, sorry. Um, subsidiary chart. And there is my solar return for the year. And what that is, is a chart that is based on when the, the sun returns to the exact position of your natal sun in your natal chart at the time you're born. And we can glean some information from this as well. We can glean uh, the, the ascendant and where it's placed and kind of the overlapping themes that we might experience. We can see what the, the time lord for the year is, is going to be repeated in the solar return chart. So like I was talking about uh, the, um, the moon being important in that chart of the moment. And if let's, let's say we were, the moon was my particular time lord, I would look for the moon in the solar return chart to bring me themes as well. Um, is, that, is that helpful, Fionn? I'm taking a look at the chat here and trying to make sure I'm paying attention to what's going on here. Uh, Tarya is saying, this is amazing timing. I've been working with clients uh, chart and there is a Jupiter Kazemi. Yes, exactly. This is a, a wonderful day to be exchanging wisdom and information. Uh, Christopher is stopping in from Colorado. Hello, friend. Um, Lynn says, excellent book. Karinyi has an interesting angle as a mythologist. I agree. I've really been enjoying his work and I kind of went on a little bit of a binge the other night because I had one of his books and I was like I want all of his books so I did just buy all of his books at once um, which is something I'm apt to do every once in a while my sense of completion is uh, you know it needs to be that itch needs to be scratched every once in a while Carol is stopping in from New York hello Carol uh, yeah and Fionn thank you for for confirming um, that that was a good answer for what your question was. There are a few other techniques that I use for timing as well. Um, I, you know, I do take a look at zodiacal releasing at times, although I find that that technique slightly challenging to work with. Um, it's very complicated and I'm, I'm not exactly sure that we have a, a super clear picture of how it's going, it, it's supposed to work. There's a lot of different opinions on which, you know, which technique and which uh, house is in, um, in an angle at that point and, and which house would be activated. So I, I, I look at that, but that's not one that I rely on 100%. I really like this annual perfection um, technique here as far as timing goes. I'm seeing in the chat here. How do you see this Kazemi and Pisces compared to the previous cycle or previous cycles? That's a good question. So let's, let's bring up the chart that we're experiencing now, chart, the clock, current transits. 
Um, well, I, I'm, I'm thinking of it a little bit differently based on the, the specific Deccan that it's going to be uh, placed within. I really am enjoying this particular Jupiter Kazemi because Jupiter has a ton of essential dignity in this area of the Zodiac. We're dealing with Pisces II, the second decan of Pisces. So between uh, 10 and 20 degrees of Pisces. And here we've got an association with the Nine of Cups. Um, this is not only Jupiter's home, of nocturnal home of Pisces, but it is also a place where Jupiter has dignity by face and decan. And it's in the terms of Jupiter as well, or the bounds of Jupiter. So it's got like triple dignity here. Um, and I think that it's a really powerful place for manifestation. Um, you know, one of the things I've been really seeing that has been coming along with Jupiter in the second decan is that this is a space in the zodiac more than maybe any other where we can um, bring things into form based on our intention. And this, this is a decan that's related to the nines in the tarot, and there's a sephira called Yesad, which is related to the moon in the tree of life, the Kabbalistic, the hermetic Kabbalistic tree of life. And it's sort of this place where, you know, reality is negotiable. And I think that, it, that it's a place where when we set an important intention or we set a positive intention or whatever it is, we have the flexibility to kind of create with primordial matter with this Deccan. So I do think today is extremely important for setting intentions. Now, that being said, it's very important to set the intention and release the attachment to the, to the, the how, the mechanism that's going to bring you there. So this is kind of like make a wish and then release it to the universe and then allow the universe to like surprise you on some level. It doesn't mean that you don't do anything to support your dream. It means just to allow the, the divine to show you what the next steps are rather than dictating to the divine what the next steps should be. I'm guilty of this sometimes of dictating how I want things to turn out. And I'm really learning um, that that is a fool's errand a lot of the time. Um, that sometimes comes with Virgo placements where we want to control the process. So I think that this is a great Jupiter Kazemi for, uh, yeah, enjoying the magic, as Bonnie is saying in the chat here, uh, letting life surprise you, um, really getting in, in uh, alignment with the essential vibration of what you're experiencing, not necessarily the form of it. So one of the things I did yesterday as I'm kind of meditating on this new moon is I was picturing myself with like the sun on my face, watching the birds in my backyard, like maybe near uh, a lake or a river or the ocean, because I really enjoy being near water and just the feeling of contentment that that might bring to me. And I, I'm trying to release the, the need to say it has to be like this. I'm connecting to the emotional power of this Deccan rather than the, the technical, physical power around it, if that makes sense. Um, let me see, I'm checking in with the chat. Susanna says, is this an especially important aspect if Jupiter is the Time Lord? 100%, Susanna. If Jupiter is your Time Lord for the year, this is a very important day. This is a day of planting seeds. Um, anytime that a planet is coming into conjunction with the sun, 
It's said to be in the heart of the sun. So they thought of a planet, and I'm just going to circle this where we're seeing this. Here's Jupiter in the heart of, of the sun as we speak. Some astrologers would call it a 17 degree or a 17 minute degree of separation that is the Kazemi moment, but Hellenistic astrologers thought of it as one degree of separation. So technically, if we're doing it in a, in a Hellenistic way, um, it's in the heart of the sun right now. Um, so, so if this is your time lord, Jupiter is your time lord, generally when a planet goes within 15 degrees of the sun, some astrologers will argue that it's a different arc of separation for different planets, but I'd kind of standardize it like Demetra George does in her book, uh, Ancient Astrology in Theory and Practice. So you can think of a planet going under the beams and becoming invisible to become renewed. It's like a planet that is taking to its sickbed uh, and then getting the medicine that it needs when it comes into the heart of the sun. And then as it travels you know, away from the sun and becomes visible again, you'll see the, the planet starting to be more active uh, visibly in your life. Whereas right now, there may be things that are happening behind the scenes that are extremely important. I wanted to come on today because the, 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 the vibe that we're experiencing in the world with the Mars-Pluto and, and Venus-Pluto conjunction we had going on this week was a lot of really difficult things we're experiencing as a collective. And I wanted to make sure that today, uh, as Jupiter is going Kazemi, Jupiter is a planet that it can is, is a peacemaker. It actually was thought of as bringing order and liberation in, in classical mythology and classical astrology. So I, I wanted to make sure that we're, as a group today, setting collective intentions for, for peace, um, for, you know, fairness and equality, for uh, expansion of the good, and and like you know I, i'm just my heart is going out to to everyone who may be suffering or, or experiencing some fear um from what's going on in the world and i think that with our collective intentions today i think we can um maybe add something positive to the to the collective emotional response to to what could happen in the world today um so yes it is very important as a time lord it's just important in general as a, a collective space. One of the things that I, I will say about this exact degree is it's very close to a fixed star called Achernar at 15 degrees of Pisces. And that fixed star is in the river, the Uridanus. Okay, there's a constellation in the sky called the, the Uridanus. And what I'll do is I'm going to stop my share for a minute. And I'm actually going to show you this uh, on my program, Starry Night Pro. I think I have a computer today that will allow me to bring this program up without, you know, crashing my entire computer. Uh, that's the beauty of upgrading your technology. Uh, so this is Starry Night Pro, and I'm going to share my screen here and show you what we're looking at. So here's Starry Night Pro. And here we see the constellation of Pisces here. And we're going to go down and we're going to remove the horizon. Okay. Going to make sure that we remove. I'm going to type this search, see if we can find it here. A churnar. There we go. See if we can find it. It's in the south. That's why I'm trying to. Uh, 
hide the horizon line here. There we go. Okay, so there is a Chernar right here. And here is the Uridanus, if you can see that. Um, hopefully you all are able to see my screen and, and see the... Um, this program is called Starry Night Pro. It is a really cool um, astronomy program that shows us kind of all these fixed stars and all the constellations and all of these cool things here. Um, I really enjoy it. And so here is the river, the Eurydanus, and it, it starts at uh, the foot of Orion in this fixed star called Rigel here. So this is where, you know, if you've, if you've um, heard me talk about um, drinking from the fire hose of information, that's, that's really Rigel right here. <laughs> and I have Venus on this fixed star, so I'm you know, bringing that energy to, to my 11th house a little bit. But it's kind of this transition from this kind of brute warrior hunter energy and this path to humility. And, and Achernar is at the end of this river. And there's a story that goes along with Achernar related to the myth of Phaethon. And Phaethon was a youth that was the, the son of Helios, the sun god. And Helios was uh, uh, promised his son any wish to prove his, his divine parentage to the youth. And, you know, Phaethon was like, I want to drive your chariot, which was, you know, at the time, they believed that the, the, the sun was carried by a chariot with four horses that would carry it across the sky every day, and Helios would drive this chariot. And Phaethon wanted to drive the chariot, and, and Helios was like, anything but that, you're not ready for this. So there's this kind of sorcerer's apprentice energy that, that, is, that comes up with this. And of course, young Phaethon lost control of the horses and was burning things up. And he flew so high that like things were freezing on the earth. It was just chaos. And Zeus was like, this can't continue to happen and shot him out of the sky with a thunderbolt. And he fell down and, and, and drowned in this river, uh, the Eurydanus. So there is some significations with this placement about maybe flying too high, overshooting the mark, getting a little bit too... Um, uh, I don't know, overestimating our ability on some level. So I think it's important to dream while, while also being realistic about what is possible and what isn't. Um, Susanna, thank you so much for the super chat. Uh, if you want to make a material donation to the work that I'm doing today, there's a little dollar sign in the chat. It's called a super chat or a super sticker. A super sticker is just a straight donation. If you want your question highlighted today, you can do a super chat. Um, and I very much appreciate all your support with that. Um, if you're the other thing you can do is just make sure you're you're subscribed to the channel and hit the like button and and just ask questions like the, the more questions we have here the better chat we're going to have so i'm looking at the chat and, and kind of looking through the questions here um i've got the susanna's question about the time lord mariana is here saying i've been studying kierkegaard and what he said about faith and leaps of faith as an association to these astrological times reminded me about no form to the intention. Yeah, that's a, it's, it's a really important realization, I think. And it's really important as far as Pisces goes, because I think that the second decan in particular is about coming to terms with what is actually possible and what isn't when we are trying to bridge the, di the divine idealism with physical form. And you know, Virgo works very hard to craft something into, to put something into matter and refine it. And Pisces is saying, all right, I have this dream. 
Now I'm just letting go of the, the oars and letting the ship be steered by the current. And that's a very different type of energy. Um, and if we are trying to constantly micromanage and craft our vision at this period of time, we're not really in accordance with the times. And we may exhaust ourselves because a lot of the times what will happen is when we try to do that, the divine will throw a curveball to us in our path, right? And I, I've been experiencing this personally myself with the last few weeks of been having a health challenge. Nothing super serious. It was a very painful kind of abdomen pain. I thought I had a kidney stone. I thought I was following the footsteps of my, <laughs> my astrology teacher, Achuta, who had a really nasty kidney stone at the Great Lakes Astrology Conference a few years ago. Um, or, or I thought there was something else going on, like my appendix was, was going to be inflamed or something. But I finally went to the doctor and I was, uh, luckily, for, and it was just kind of a, a backup. I had just kind of a blockage of old junk in my intestines and my colon. And I've been making the joke with anyone who will listen in my, my juvenile Taurus moon that they confirmed that I, yes, I am, I am full of shit. <laughs> like, so I apologize for the dad jokes, but uh, of all the possible outcomes, that was a, a decent one, one that's easy to figure out and, <clears throat> and to treat, I think. Um, so my point with that is that it, it really made me slow down for a, a week or two. And it was the kind of this divine curveball that said, hey, you know, if you're not going to rest and you're not going to surrender, I'm going to throw an issue into your path that will force you to do that. Because, you know, with all my Virgo stuff, I just tend to just keep grinding. It's hard for me to take some time off. And that, that really made me take the time off. And I think that's something to consider when you're setting intentions here too, is that um, the, the world works, in, the divine works in, in mysterious ways sometimes. And, and embracing the mystery is important. I think that's what... Um, Bonnie was trying to talk to us about, about enjoying the magic, right? And letting something surprise you. Okay, Dimphi is saying, yes, thanks for doing Starry Night Pro. It's been a while and I thoroughly enjoy this. Thank you. Yeah, I, I love this program. You can see that we can see all the different kind of like, you know, visual representations of the constellations. You know, we've got this kind of the green line of the ecliptic or the path of the sun. And here we see the constellation Pisces. There's the sun as we speak from my location around Ann Arbor, Michigan. And, um, you know, you can see one thing I wanted to point out is that when we're looking at uh, Starry Night Pro, we're actually seeing the sun is not really in the, the physical constellation of Pisces. It's still in the stars of Aquarius. And this is due to a, a concept called precession. So the, 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 the zodiac and the vernal equinox, the spring equinox, uh, the tropical zodiac, and we, which we measure by the, the equal day and night in the, the springtime in the northern hemisphere, have slowly been separating over time due to the, the wobble of the earth. So the appearance of these stars against the backdrop of the ecliptic have been shifting subtly over time. So you can see that the sun right now is, is sort of in the, the, the urn of Aquarius that's pouring out its water into the, the southern fish, where we have this important fixed star here called Fomahawk, which is a, the, the kind of used to be marking out the winter solstice. It's a very uh, magical fixed star that is associated with magic and charisma and things like that. 
Um, so, so tropical Pisces has a little bit of the, the actual Piscean constellation here, but a lot of the stars of Aquarius as well. So that's, that's another thing to consider. And what I do in my, my Deccan's webinars and the way that I practice astrology is I, I really do my best to overlap the meaning between some of the stars in that we see the, the Deccan's physically in, but also just still maintaining some of the mythology of the constellation itself, because I do think that that is still built into the system that we have here. All right. Oh, thanks, Bonnie, for hanging out and uh, hanging out with us today. We have some people stopping in and out here. See you next weekend for the decades of winter. Yay. I'm so happy that you'll, you'll be joining us with that. If you aren't signed up for this yet, friends, um, I'm going to be doing the decades of Pisces on March the 12th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right before the time change happens on the day after, Sunday the 13th. Um, so the Deccans webinar will be the 12th Saturday. Uh, there's a link in the description of this video if you want to sign up for that. You can still sign up for a bundle as well if you want to get Capricorn and Aquarius uh, replay files. Those are available also. And if you've missed any of my Deccan webinars all the way back to Virgo at this point, um, they're available in the store on my website. Okay, Lynn is saying, yes, the Virgo placements make it hard to let go of the details. I find that getting interested in something unrelated helps, yeah, distracting yourself, right? And, and kind of coming up from uh, examining something in the minutia and the microcosm. I agree, like uh, sometimes we have to get out of our own way on some level to, to be able to see the big picture. I, I often experience that, that challenge as well. Uh, Raven is asking, what are some things you would say about the Kazemi happening in the 11th co-present with natal Saturn? Okay, so I'm going to stop my share with Starry Night Pro. We're going to, we'll go back to the chart and I will move the chart where we can see uh, the Kazemi in the 11th house. Okay, so here we have a Taurus rising. Is that correct? Um, Raven, Taurus rising. And in this particular case, hold on. I'm, I know that you probably can't see this yet. I will reshare the screen. There you go. Can you see the chart there? So here we have this Jupiter Kazemi happening in the 11th house of a Taurus rising chart. And I'm going to draw in Saturn. Okay. So here we're going to, we have Saturn co-present in the natal chart, I'm assuming, right? What degrees is this is Saturn at in this chart, Raven? Well, when as Raven is letting us know what degrees Saturn would be at in this chart, I want to point out that Saturn in the 11th in a Taurus rising chart is going to be the ruler of both the ninth and the 10th house in this chart. So one of the things that I would first look at is, and it's okay, so Raven is saying 24 degrees Pisces in this natal chart, okay? So one of the things that we're gonna see uh, is that the topics that Saturn is gonna be providing for are going to be playing out in the 10th house of the career and the ninth house of finding 
higher meaning and higher purpose, potentially even a, a long distance travel, but travel for, for finding meaning. So what I like to say on this channel and, and teach people is that the planet in the sign itself, so the Saturn in the 11th house is going to be creating the action, like the, the, the verb, right? So Saturn tends to bring things to conclusions. It casts things out and brings, uh, it exiles things. It also uh, it requires situations of endurance, but it can also bring feelings of loneliness, of being binded to something or bound to a responsibility as a binding agent. Um, it, can, it castrates things into matter. So it, what it's doing is it's going to castrate the themes of Pisces 3 into some kind of concrete reality in the 11th house. Okay, so, so if I was just analyzing this, I would say Saturn 24 degrees Pisces is related to the 10 of cups, which is a, you see a figure, a family celebrating a rainbow and this kind of really idealistic vision. So Pisces 3 has wild swings of emotions and potentially some need to sacrifice since it is a Mars ruled Deccan for a dream or a, an ideal. And it, it's almost like some people will go to extre really extremes of sacrifice and emotion to be able to, to bring that idealized vision into reality. And if Saturn's there, it can do one of two things. It can bind you to like the crusade or the, 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 the kind of energy of sacrifice or maybe even martyrdom on some level or it can deny you your idealistic vision and since it's playing out in the 11th house of you know groups shared idealism people that support your expression in the world you may have felt blocked through some of your friendships and through some of the collect people that you share a collective vision with um, and maybe felt like you had to make sacrifices either for your friends, for a collective vision, or, or that, that those things were denied to you in your youth and you had to incorporate that energy in as you matured. Okay, Saturn gives its gifts as you mature. And all of those things could be having an effect on your, your expression in the world, the action that you take in the world, which is what the 10th house represents, praxis. Okay, it's not just the career, it's all the things that are visible that you do in the world and the ninth house of your belief system. So when you have Jupiter Kazemi over Saturn pretty close here, I would say that the other thing I would notice in this chart is that Neptune is actually much closer to Saturn at this point, which may be complicating the, you know, the reality of what you're supposed to be doing. Neptune is a planet that can create illusion. It can create a confusion around what we're supposed to be doing. So there may be some confusion around what you may be doing out in the world and complicating. It may, I would say that this would be having you asking questions of why am I doing what I'm doing? Is, it, is this worth my sacrifice? Is this worth uh, giving up something for this higher purpose, for this idealism? And Jupiter going Kazemi near that planet may actually be bringing you in touch with an ability to, to soften some of the pain potentially related to that and help you to bring together the necessary elements to actually bring something into matter rather than that feeling of isolation and denial. Uh, so I, I hope that helps 
there, um, Raven. Uh, let me know if that is playing out in your life. <laughs> the kind of uh, I always like the feedback with this. I'm taking a look through the chat here. Uh, Christopher is saying this Jupiter Kazemi in Pisces reminds me of a huge ocean without boundaries, especially with Neptune co-present. That the sun is shimmering above like wa- like the water, making lots of rainbows on the water. That's a that's beautiful imagery, Christopher. I, and I I agree. I would say that Pisces is very very much like um, the ocean of consciousness and this desire to return home. Um, I think that I've been in the research I've been doing with my Deccan's webinar, the myth of Odysseus has been coming up and his desire to return home no matter the cost, but also some of the dangers that are inherent in a journey of a return to the, the center or the, the collective or the, the, the center self. And I think that we can also get blinded by a, uh, or seduced by a siren song with Pisces as well, where uh, not every vision that we have is a healthy one. We can, and especially with Neptune here, some of the things that we may want to pursue or sacrifice for may be ill-conceived. And I, I think we're seeing this play out on a world stage as well as there, there are certain players on the world stage that are trying to carry out very ill-advised, um, you know, idealistic visions from their perspective. I think from everyone else's perspective, it looks like complete insanity. But from their perspective, they are, you know, painting themselves as the hero of their own story, uh, as deluded as it may be. So I think that that's another thing to consider with Neptune co-present with this is that we have to really check ourselves and make sure that what we're trying to sacrifice for has truly the the good of the collective in, in mind. All right. Susanna says, do you personally set your intentions during an aspect like this? Do you set up an altar or write down your intentions? Does it have to be ritualistic to get the best out of an aspect? That's a great question, Susanna. I think it can be more powerful if you ritualize it. I'm a, I'm a big believer in ritualizing intentions. Uh, in our household, I am, I'm, I am not the... Uh, the magical practitioner. I do participate in some rituals as far as like honoring the planetary deities in my morning ritual, but I do live with an, uh, a uh, another kind of witch, I guess. Um, my partner Tanya does uh, things based on the movements of the planets. She also incorporates some some root work and some some of the hoodoo tradition into what she does, and and she did do a a Jupiter ritual earlier this. This uh, this about a, a month ago or so, just as Jupiter was moving into, actually it wasn't a month ago, it was a few weeks ago, where Jupiter was moving into the second decan of Pisces and uh, found a really nice election to try to kind of bottle this, this energy up. So keep your eyes peeled for that. You can find her work at Third Coast Mojo. It's an Etsy uh, where she has things for sale there. The Jupiter one isn't quite ready yet, but as far as your own intention and ritual, yes, I think that the main thing I would suggest today is getting some quiet space and just really getting in, in, in the emotional space necessary to be able to, to get in, into alignment with what you want. Um, you know, Susanna today shared a really beautiful painting 
that had the the ladybug um, all throughout that, and, and the ladybug in animal symbolism represents making a wish and and kind of setting intentions. And I, I shared that in my Instagram story if you'd like to check out her work. And I and thought that was a beautiful sentiment as far as putting intentions out into the world. And I wanted to tell you, Susanna, in some synchronicity, as I was getting cleaned up for this show today, uh, there are actually a lot of ladybugs in my house. They tend to overwinter here. And I found one um, in in my shower as I was taking a shower today. So some really beautiful synchronicity after seeing your painting and just a nice message of the power of intention and the power of getting the right emotional energy around it. I know that some of this can sound like that, that kind of um, creative visualization thing that was going around a few years ago, The Secret, which I have real mixed feelings about. I think they got some of it correct. I, the, the way that they carried it out was not my favorite. They were like, oh, you know, if you visualize yourself getting a Ferrari or a giant house or, or all the other trappings of capitalism, you will get what you want. And, and, and I don't think it works like that. Um, I think it's more about the feeling that you're coming into alignment with. You know, what kind of feeling would having enough feel like? What kind of feeling would not worrying about the world events of, of, of being at peace what kind of feelings does that inspire in you? Um, not what does this thing uh, bring me? Like if a lot of the times we have to get clear about what we are trying to really achieve when we want status or power or material goods, when we want love and respect. Um, sometimes we just want to feel loved. Sometimes we just want to feel abundant and like we have enough and that we're not worrying about uh, poverty or things of that nature, or, or we want to feel safe. And there's a, there's a lot of different ways to, to get in alignment with that feeling. And I think that, that today, especially, is very important to come into alignment with those feelings. And someone asked me, how do you come into alignment? I was talking with my good friend C.V. Henriette of Art of the Zodiac the other day on Instagram. And they were saying, how do you come into alignment with a feeling that you've never felt before? I thought that was a really uh, interesting question. And I think that it starts with gratitude. I think that all of us can find something, no matter how small. Maybe it's a ladybug that you find in the shower. <laughs> like, to be grateful, to see that there may, maybe there is some interconnectedness to all of this. Maybe it's just that the sun is shining on your face today. Maybe it's that you woke up today and that you have clean water to drink. There, there are a myriad of, of ways that you can get started in manifesting gratitude. And, and I think that's the key. And that has all sorts of ripple effects because when we come from a place of gratitude, when we appreciate other people, when we appreciate the things that we have, people are much more likely to, to, to give when they feel appreciated. It, there's nothing that will drive someone away more than criticizing them. You know, and I think that that's, it's really important to, to remember that that, you know, for me, I'm just excited to be here today. And like, I think that I'm grateful for all of you. And, and if I express that gratitude, hopefully you'll keep coming back. You know, if I were to say, that's a stupid ass question, you, you fucks, <laughs> like get, get the hell out of here. No one's going to keep supporting me here, right? So that, that's no way to act. I mean, uh, so appreciate your, your, your audience, appreciate your family, appreciate uh, your friends, and you will, you will grease the wheels of goodwill 
and good fortune. Okay. So I think that's, that's the, the, the beginning phase of all of that. Okay. So I am taking a look here. I'm going to clear my screen of drawings. I'm going to go back to the chart of the moment. Um, Lisa's laughing at this. Like, I mean, it's, it's simple. It seems so simple, but a lot of times it's really, it's, you know, in the moment, people don't remember that they, they get real antsy and real critical of each other. And then they wonder why they're feeling so alone and so isolated and why no one wants to be around them or help them. It's, it's actually just very basic, um, learning how to be nice and kind to one another. Uh, Lynn says, I appreciate your appreciation, Spencer. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate you, Lynn. This, I hope I was hoping to create just a mutual admiration uh, society today. Uh, so I'm glad that we're, we're priming the pump for that. Okay, any other questions? Like, let's, if, if you have more questions, just throw them in the chat box there. I, I'm, this is a lot of fun. I really enjoy kind of the more loose nature of it and very Piscean, Jupiter Piscean style. It didn't have a huge agenda today, which is unlike me. You've seen me with my five pages of notes for any time I'm going live, but it's, it's nice to kind of go with the flow and see where the conversation takes us. So feel free to pop something in the chat, if, even if you have like a personal chart question, if you have a technique question, if you are curious about my methodology with things, I'm happy to spend some more time with you here today and hold space for you. Um, while I'm waiting for a new question here in the chat, uh, I wanted to, to kind of like uh, turn you on to something that I've, I've, I don't know a ton about, but I'm actually, uh, I'm excited about this. And I think that this is something I wanted to kind of put out there as far as an intention that I wanted to help create today. So I wanted to share with you the Ukrainian goddess or the Slavic goddess of life. And I believe it's pronounced Shiva, similar to the, 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 the Indian god. But um, if there's a better pronunciation, please, please help me out with this. But I want to turn you on to this goddess if, as far as ritualization goes. This is a goddess that is sacred to the people of Ukraine, that is a life bringer, a peacemaker. And you can see her here. Uh, creating life and peace and bringing life to the forest. Um, and she has sunflowers on her uh, flower crown here, which is another sacred symbol that we've seen going around. So I think maybe saying a, a little a little prayer to, to Shiva here, the, the Slavic goddess of life, um, might be appropriate if you're trying to, if you're feeling maybe helpless and you want to be able to help in this very powerful moment of manifestation, maybe offering a sunflower or something of that nature and just calling in this energy and calling in this this energy of peace and life um i know that it's it's always a complicated situation when we're talking about world politics and things like that but um I, i'm hoping that by putting this energy out there and calling attention to potentially this deity that may be able to be helpful and through the power of our collective intentions hopefully we can uh add to a, a, a good outcome or, or a better outcome for peace in, in what we're experiencing right now. And I, I'm, I'm worried about all of you over there in Europe, you know, my friends that are close to the action over there. Um, one of the things that it, it, this really teaches us is how interconnected we all are. And I think if we put our intentions, collective intentions towards peace, hopefully we're able to have an effect on it. 
Okay. Um, Lynn is asking, what is a good way to learn about the fixed stars? Well, Lynn, I will find some books for you. Uh, the first thing that you can do if you want to learn about fixed stars is I have a, a um, webinar that I did on the fixed stars that I will put this in the chat. Um, I'll find the link here. I did this at Astrology Victoria, uh, which is a an astrological community based out of, I believe, British Columbia now. And um, it, it was a really nice talk with a nice Q&A at the end as well. I'm going to put this in the chat box here for you, Lynn. Okay, so there's a, a link to my YouTube video that is on Astrology Victoria, and you can check that out. Um, let's see. I may also have it on my channel too, so I will, I will share the link that's on my channel also. You can find that in my Astro, uh, you can find that in my Astro Techniques and um, Astro Tech and Techniques playlist. So uh, here it is here. And you can support Astrology Victoria with that first link, or you can support my channel by watching it here as well. Either way, they're both uh, good organizations, I think, hopefully. <laughs> like, um, I hope that's the right one. I don't think it is. Sorry, friends, I'm finding the clip for you. So that's a great place to start. That's that's the consolidation of my wisdom up to this point. Some books that I can highly recommend for you, uh, and I will share the screen for this just so you can see. Here, here is the link to the talk, An Introduction to Fixed Stars Working with the Firmament. Um, I did that, again, as a, as a webinar for Astrology Victoria British Columbia, but some fixed star books that I highly recommend. So I've got some of them behind me and I'll, I'll grab them for you. So, okay. The first one, so you can see that I, the link to this talk is in the chat. So I'll, I'll stop my share for a second and show you these books. Um, the, the simplest one I can say that is a really great introduction done by a friend that is uh, local to my area here. She's out of, I believe, Toledo. Her name's Elizabeth Hazel. This is a little book of fixed stars by Elizabeth Hazel uh, with star commentaries by Michael Moncasey. And it's a really nice little introduction um, to the fixed stars and how to work with them. It's, it's just very tiny. It's really good, though. I use this pretty much every time I'm doing some kind of reading or forecast or things of that nature. Um, and I'm seeing in the chat, Susanna says, isn't it nice, Spencer, that this Kazemi is trining our sons? Yeah, me and Susanna have uh, the sun at a similar degree, about 15 degrees of, of cancer. So I'm, I'm enjoying this quite a bit, this, this sharing of wisdom and knowledge. So thank you all for being here today. This is so much fun for me. So check out uh, Little Book of Fixed Stars, Elizabeth Hazel. That's a good one to start with. Uh, Bernadette Brady is a great one. She has a thicker book called Bernadette, Bernadette Brady's uh, Book of Fixed Stars that goes into more depth. She also has this Star and Planet Combinations, 
where they talk about how a fixed star would interact with a particular planet. I like this one a lot. This is also near me when I'm doing research for, for natal charts and for um, transit reports. The other one that is kind of neat, there's so many, Star Lore by William Tyler Olcott is a early 20th century book that um, is really great for learning the history of the constellations and the fixed stars. The constellation myths will really affect the fixed star itself. So knowing the story of the constellation that the fixed star is in is really important. Like for example, uh, the story of Algarab at 13 degrees of Libra is really very connected to the, the cr crater, the cup of Apollo, Corvus, the crow, and Hydra, the sea serpent that are all in the similar uh, place. And I'll, I'll show you that real quick. I love having my Starry Night Pro up here. This is, I, I, yeah, I miss doing Starry Night Pro stuff on this channel. So you can see what I was talking about. If we go to Libra, the Libra area of the sky, you can see here we have Corvus the Crow right here. And Algarab is in, in this constellation. We have Crater the Cup, and here is Hydra. And all those stories are related. And in that particular case, uh, Corvus was given a sacred task by Apollo to fill this cup with ambrosia or something, you know, the food of the gods. And he got distracted. You can see him like eating a fig. He got distracted by earthly delights. And he ended up failing in this task. And instead of coming clean about it, he blamed Hydra for, for this like, you know, lack of um, integrity on his part. So when I work with a client, knowing the fact that Algarab brings in all three of these constellations is important because what I would say to a client if they had a planet or an important angle on that placement is that it's important for you to focus. You have, you have a mission. You've been given some kind of divine mission. It's very important for you not to get distracted by you know, material delights or overindulge in material reality. You know, it's all about balance and, and moderation, right? But also, if you do have an integrity lapse, it's important for you to own it and not cast blame on someone else because that can lead to an even greater downfall. And that actually really uh, brings in the significations of the second decan of Libra, where that fixed star is. The, the, there is a card associated with the second decan of Libra called the Three of Swords. And here you see, if I'm trying to find it in my deck, here it is, with three swords piercing a heart. And this Deccan is really about, you know, keeping your word. It's really about keeping an oath and, and contracts. So we saw the story of what happens when we don't keep a contract and we don't keep an oath or something like that. And it's really powerful to be able to overlap these fixed stars and the Deccans and the tarot and find all this interesting, um, you know, interrelated truths. I, I'm the type of person that I want to explore multiple wisdom traditions and see if there's something that I can connect within them. Because one of the things to really understand is that sometimes a lot of the wisdom traditions that we're drawing from are really rooted in the belief systems of that particular time period or the culture that they came from. And it's 
it can really color it in a way that may not be apl applicable to our modern culture and, and values. So if we're examining things from multiple lenses, we can see what may have lasted through all of these traditions through the and what through the through the ages of time and what is timeless about that particular um, truth. So that's why I do it the way that I do it. I know sometimes it's a lot of information to process, but hopefully I'm distilling it into something that's useful for people. Um, Raven says, "Oh wow, my son is at 16 cancer. Yeah, so you're getting a nice overcoming trine." To your son with the Jupiter Kazemi here today, Raven. So I'm glad that you're with us and that you're a fellow Cancer II Deccan, which is related to the Three of Cups, the celebration of the seasons and the, the abundant, they call that Deccan abundance. And um, the Austin Coppock calls it the walled garden, where we have a very specific set of uh, conditions that we can thrive in, um, sort of like he calls it a hothouse flower. But if, if we are able to find the right conditions for ourselves, we can really, we can really thrive and create a, a really nice nurturing um, you know, environment for not only ourselves, but for others as well. And I think that I've been able to carve that out a little bit with this astrology practice. Is find, this is a sacred space, and this is our, our sacred walled garden that we have here that we're able to create healthy growth and, and unification and abundance just through sharing our knowledge like this. So, so I'm glad that you're a part of that. Um, Dimphy says, with that stat, which stat are you referring to, Dimphy? I see you've got two smileys here. <laughs> Lynn is saying, thanks, this is great. Thank you, Lynn. Um, Dimphy says, with your Star-Lore recommendation last year, my, the, my book quest started. I wondered what it was and is, and is in my chart. Nearly is an addiction. Even started looking up things in Greek. How more hermit can it get? Yeah. I mean, it is, <laughs> it's, it is definitely the type of thing where when you get one book, it can lead to 10 more. Uh, so I'll stop my share here for a minute. Um, the way that it works for me is what I tend to do is I will get a book. I will read parts of the book, um, unless it's something that would really benefit from me reading it straight through. I, I, I rarely read a book straight through. I tend to pull from many different sources. I tend to buy books that I consider references. Um, you know, like Star Lore, it's, it doesn't have to be read straight through. You can pull things out as needed. But then I also go into the, the index and the bibliography, and I say, what books was it, were inspiring this author? And I tend to try to collect those books and trace it back to a, a seminal source. And I did this with Bernadette Brady's Fixed Star book. I think that was the first Fixed Star book that I got was Brady's big book of Fixed Stars. And then she was drawing from William Tyler Olcott's book. Um, and, and I you know, found Vivian Robeson's book. Uh, there's, there's all sorts of ways that you can continue to trace that lineage. Same thing with like mythology. I really like Carl Jung and Joseph Campbell, and Carl Jung's was a, a contemporary of Carl Carl uh, Carini. So this is an author that is mentioned a lot by Liz Green in relationship to Carl Jung. So you can you can find that you can trace these things back through these like spider webs of knowledge, and um, it's really fun to do that. And I really, by, by 
enjoying Liz Green, I found Carl Carigny, and, and I'm really grateful that I did. I'm sure that his bibliography will lead me to some other things as well. If you really want to get crazy about it, you can you can get the the, the real seminal sources like Hesiod and uh, Apollodorus and Ovid and all of those things. I have those as well. Um, I, I I use those sometimes. I think that the my need to collect has me having these books, but for those specific references, there is a website, uh, and I'll type it in the chat box here. That it is a compendium of all of these like quotes, and it's theoi.com, and it's a really great website for quoting authors of antiquity. And when I do a webinar, I, I use that site quite a bit. I lean on that quite a bit for my Greek mythology because it's so much easier to just pull a quote from there because they just have compiled it all. And then I, I, I cite that source and, and move on and move forward. So that's a great way to get really back in time for the seminal sources. And then, you know, if you, <laughs> the funny thing about that is once you go back to the, the primordial Greek mythologers or myth mythographers or the storytellers, then you start realizing that they were really influenced by Babylonian and Sumerian myth and Egyptian myth. And so you start going back to those sources and things like that. Uh, I just bought the Epic of Gilgamesh because I realized I didn't have a copy of that because I was trying to get in touch with the story of Inanna and of Ea and, a, and, a, and a, another figure in that epic called Utnapishtim when I was doing my um, my Aquarius Deccans webinar, which had a lot of flood myths within it. So it's, it's, it's really fascinating how you can continue to trace this knowledge back over time. Uh, Dimphy says, yes, same here. Index, unfortunately, there is the internet, right? So if, you, if you're not a crazy person who just spends money on nothing but books, and you actually need, you know, some of your resources for, for other things. Uh, the internet is a great resource, and you can find a lot of these things um, in digital form. I have some digital books, but I really just like the feel of the book, and I think that I hope one of the legacies I hope to create is maybe a, a really, you know, vast library that I will be able to pass on to my family or to an organization uh, if if my family doesn't want these books. So this knowledge can continue to live on and so i can consolidate this knowledge and and pass it on to all of you in a in a and maybe make sense of it you know that's my job as a teacher or any teacher um dimphy says do you find yourself smirking as well um in relationship to what i find myself smirking all the time <laughs> I, think that, I think that uh i smirk it um you know my addiction to books <laughs> like oh man i bought another book today <laughs> like i have a problem <laughs> you know like um anyway uh dimphy says today i got greek philosophers in greek and dutch helenica paideia interesting yeah that's really it's fascinating because i think that many there are many great authors that aren't necessarily that didn't write in english so, you know, for example, Car Carl, our friend Carl here, most of these had to be translated from German. So it's good that, that we had these translated from German, but he's a, a really amazing author and, and it's great that it was translated. So if you have great authors and scholars in your own native language, 
um, do us a favor and, and, and get get your hands on those resources and start uh, sharing the secrets of that wisdom with us as well, because knowledge loves to be shared. This is what I've found is that the more I share knowledge, the more comes to me, uh, the more people share sources and books and, and send me stuff like if you know, if you want to send me something, I'm always open to that. I love that. Um, and, you know, all your donations that people make here help me to, you know, head to the library and, and buy me the gift of free time to do this research and, and keep me uh, with the lights on here. So thank you so much for all of that as well. Uh, Dimphy says, most secondhand. Yes, I, I, am, I am not uh, opposed to buying books used. Uh, sometimes that's the only way you can find them. I, I bought a book the other day from Carl Carigny that I'm waiting for that hasn't come in the mail yet, Goddesses of the Sun and Moon, um, that is out of print. So I had to buy a used copy. So that, that's definitely a great way to save some money as well. It's it's not really about the the outside of the book. It's what's inside, right? Uh, Raven says, I can't stop buying books. The never ending rabbit hole. Yeah, it's, 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 that's a, if there's something to be addicted to, I think that that's not the worst thing in the world. There are worse, there are worse addictions to have. Um, and if it's, if it's bringing you joy and it's bringing you benefit, uh, I think it's honestly, it's becoming more rare that people are pursuing, even pursuing knowledge. I saw, I saw, um, what's his name? Rick Levine talk about this on his interview on the, the series Changing of the Gods that has been out the last few weeks here, which is talking about the Uranus-Pluto um, you know, relationship in, in, over the course of history and Richard Tarnas's work. And he was saying, you know, sometimes people aren't even pursuing knowledge in modern times. They're just kind of mindlessly doom scrolling on their phones and, and getting the little dopamine hit. So just the fact that we're still uh, as a group here pursuing knowledge and and self-betterment is super important and and it needs to be preserved and i think that a lot of these books from antiquity they only continue to live on from our interest with with it and from telling these stories this is how all great stories have been passed on through this oral tradition you know so we learn and we pass on the stories we get people interested in the books and maybe they make a reprint of it and, and things of that nature I'm looking at the chat here. Dimphy says, on YouTube, really nice told stories about Gilgamesh bedtime stories for me. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I need to really dive into my Sumerian mythology more. I had a, a client um, who was very into Sumerian mythology that also ran, a, I think, a conference that was interested in that, and I missed a communication from them. I apologize for that. Uh, and I think that I would like to learn more about that. So maybe the next time that that conference comes along, I'll be able to speak with more authority on that topic. So um, pretty cool stuff. There's so much information out there. It's, sometimes it's hard to find time for all of it. Christopher is saying, crazy to consider where the gods and myths of the world go before writing was invented, even before writing was invented. Jupiter was probably teaching and inspiring even before we had names for those things. 100%. The fact that we have those stories at all is a testament to the oral tradition that was passed on because a lot of the stuff that was written down was destroyed when the, the library of Alexandria was burned down and just through the ravages of time. So it, it is a testament to the, the ability of humanity to continue the sacred flame of Hestia and passing on this knowledge. Um, let me see. Lynn is saying, same here, books are life. Dimphi says, smirking when having found links between things. Yeah, 
it is. It's kind of like, oh, wow, I'm tapped into this unified field of reality. It's, it's, it's very satisfying to find connections and things and to be able to, to pass on that wisdom as well. Lynn says, maybe we need to do a 12-step book for group for book buying, <laughs> right? Mm. Hello, my name is Spencer, and I am a bookaholic. <laughs> like, so, um, I think all we'd do is just, you know, share books that we wanted and probably go buy more books. Um, so, uh, Shuzimi says, your book addiction is fabulous. You had a recommendation for me which led to me finding another book on the subject. Well, excellent. I'm, I'm glad that I was able to inspire uh, a, a journey of, of discovery in there, Shuzimi, and thank you for being here today. Um, that's how it works, right? You find something that you, that you like and you share it, and then that leads you on a journey, and hopefully you'll share that with someone else, and the, the cycle continues. That's how we pass on this knowledge and pass on culture is by sharing it. And by not, not by putting it behind um, endless barriers of, of like copyright and all of these things, not by saying pay, putting it all behind paywalls. I mean, this is something I've really struggled with as a someone who wants to disseminate knowledge. I, when I released my music, I would release it under a Creative Commons copyright because I believe that this knowledge and art needs to be shared. And I think that same with book recommendations. If you're trying to hoard knowledge and try to feed um, your own ego by puffing yourself up and saying, I am the disseminator of this knowledge. That's really ego talking, and that's going to close you off from other people and ultimately lead to a downfall. Whereas if you say, you know, hey, I got this really cool book. I'm not the source of this knowledge. I'm a vehicle and a challenge for it, channel for it. Then you're going to keep the flow going. And it's it's really important lesson to learn, especially in this decade of Pisces, is keeping the flow going and not hoarding anything that's important to you. Uh, Dimphy says uh, Gary Caton was brand new. Yeah, Gary. Gary has a great book on Mercury that I highly recommend. Go support Gary in his book on the elemental year of Mercury. Um, I believe you can find that on Rubedo Press, which is my favorite uh, book publisher, by the way. Um, Aaron Cheek is my my favorite editor slash publisher person, super knowledgeable, a real expert in hermeticism and things like that. Support his work. His books are gorgeous. I mean, they, he takes a while to, to release a book, but it's because I, I can tell he puts so much love and care and attention into making it the most beautiful thing possible. I've got some books from him. Uh, the Reign of Saturn is one that I'm really looking forward to diving into, which is kind of a compendium of, of hermetic texts as well. Um, support his work. You can find he's from New Zealand. Uh, so Aaron Cheek and Rebato Press. Uh, you can buy Gary's book there and Demetra George's books on Hellenistic astrology, as well as various translations of, of ancient Hermetic texts as well. Uh, Dimphy says, I'll join the 12 step group. The rest of this month is forbidden for book buying for me. <laughs> I tend to set a budget for myself. I, I usually have a, about 100 bucks a month that I have set aside in my business that I am willing to spend for books. Sometimes I overspend it if I get on a, on a, you know, kind of a little uh, jag, I guess, or something with a book, but sometimes I don't spend it and I save it up for the next month. That's just something that I know that, that it gives me a buffer of where if I want to be able to do that. And I'm very fortunate to be able to do that with my business and, and um, secret for all of you self-employed astrologers out there. 
books are a tax write-off. So <laughs> these are things that I need to do my work and do my business. So if you're intentional with it, I think it can be good. If, if, if it becomes a problem where you're substituting like groceries for books, then it, then it might be a, something where you have to, you know, take a little break. The other thing about that is with all of us bookaholics, we often will have a lifetime worth of books on our shelves that we haven't read. So this is something I'm trying to work through is that I tend to buy five more books before I've read the one or two that I bought before. And that that is, I think it's good to be aspirational in that way, but sometimes you just have to say, nope, I'm going to engage with the material that I have. And maybe I, this new book will be inspiring, but I need to really absorb what I've spent my money on. Um, Franklin is here. Hello, Franklin. Franklin Miles. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. We're doing kind of a Q&A. We're sharing book sources where if people are asking questions about their chart, about the Deccans, about fixed stars, it's kind of just an open-ended conversation today. I'm just spending time with all of you. So thank you for joining us, Franklin. Uh, Franklin says, Kazemi happening within 30 minutes of my natal Mars. Wow. So this is a big one for you, Franklin, and, and everything that that natal Mars will represent for you. Um, I guess I would say, my friend, be careful um, what you wish for and try not to overshoot the mark. You know, like it's this is a powerful time of manifestation. Just make sure that the, the visions that you have are within the realm of possibility and don't get attached to the, the, the how, you know, get in touch with the feeling and then let the universe show you how to move forward with that intention. Dimphy says, let's talk religion and the French whisperer have nice things, I think. Let's talk religion and the French whisperer have nice things, I think. Can you clarify that, Dimphy? I'm not sure I understand that comment completely. Um, I'm going to go on for a second here, but we'll get back to that. Uh, Lynn says, seriously, I'm so grateful to Project Hindsight, Chris Brennan, et cetera, who have given us back the ancient technique Yes, I, Chris is a, a great disseminator of knowledge through his astrology podcast. One of the things I appreciate about him the most is that he holds space for people that he may not even agree with. And he gives people a platform to share the multitude of astrological technique because there's so many different techniques. It's, it's, it's really beautiful that he's been able to hold that space. And I try to do that on my show a little bit with my, my new and full moon podcasts and try to expose all of you to new voices and things like that. Um, I wanted, I'll, I'll mention that, that Chris Brennan is one of many in Project Hindsight. I'll give you some names to pursue. First of all, Robert Schmidt is the, the person that I think is really the, the main disseminator of that knowledge. There were the three Roberts, Robert Schmidt, Robert Zoller, and Robert Hand. Those, so the three Bobs, right? And there is a website that you can find with Robert Schmidt's lectures where you, I think you can pay like a monthly fee to get access from to his lectures. There's a really, a, a really like a lifetime's worth of information there. Um, I've, I've absorbed some of those, uh, those talks. It's really dense, I will say. It takes some time, um, but there's some really beautiful stuff on, on that website. Uh, the, the, the Rob Hand has some great books on horoscope symbols. I believe that he has a new version of his Planets in Transit book coming out soon that is much more informed by his Hellenistic work rather than his modern astrological work that he was 
much more into in the early 80s when that book was published. So keep your eyes peeled for that. I think he's trying to figure out how to release. I believe the last update I got on Facebook from him was 1,600 pages worth, and maybe he releases it in multiple volumes or something like that. So he's another one that brought us that work. Uh, Robert Zoller's work is someone I'm not as familiar with, um, but I, I do believe that he has some published material out there in some lectures. So he's another uh, good source. Um, Demetra George is one of my favorites. There's there's a trio that that went to Project Hindsight besides the Bobs that that have kind of started releasing their own versions of their interpretation of Hellenistic material. Chris Brennan is one, and his book um, Astrology. Uh, what is it? Hellenistic Astrology, the Study of Fate and Fortune. Demetra George has started to release her Ancient Astrology and Theory and Practice series, which we have volume one, but also volume two should be coming out soon. I hope this year. That's, you know, I think it's going through Aaron's very rigorous um, editing process from Rebato Press. And then the other one that I would say is really important is Ben Dykes. Um, ben Dykes is a machine when it comes to translating. Uh, a lot of the Arabic version of, of the classical mythology um, pantheon, um, medieval astrology, I think he has some Hellenistic work, but he, he's brought us the works of Abu Mashar, um, Dortheus, all these things. He, he, if th- those three, if you, if you get involved with that and then you know, look at Robert Schmidt's work, you're going to have a pretty good foundation for learning ancient astrology. And that being said, like I'm still open to other forms of astrology as well. Just I'm finding that those techniques work really well for me. Um, looking at the chat box, uh, Dimphy is joking. <laughs> so JJ is clarifying this religion. <laughs> so like, yeah, we're. I think we're doing a good job here navigating and keeping everything positive on the up and up today. So. Uh, maybe we'll avoid some of the more difficult topics potentially, um, but I don't know if if we want to dive into some other things we can. Um, I will try to moderate on that. Dimphy says Joy Usher is a tiny universe. Yes, that's a great recommendation as well. Um, this book has been really good for what I would consider. I don't think it's straight Hellenistic. I think it's a little bit more uh, medieval astrology as well. Um, but she really brings in the theme of Mundi, which is a great teaching tool. This is Joy Usher, A Tiny Universe. And then I have another one called uh, A Tiny Universe Companion, which is a much thicker book that goes deeper into these techniques. I really like her work. I believe she's an Australian um, astrologer. That was I was turned on to that work by Shu Yap, which is my good friend that's been on the channel a few times. Um, Christopher says, I keep thinking of the scene in Hook where they have the huge feast and food fight. Peter has to imagine really hard and with real intention to put food on the table. You're doing it, Peter. Jupiter, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's the thing. Like, I think it's about getting in touch with that emotion of feeling satiated and full and that you have what you have is enough. Like, if you're coming into alignment with a feeling of lack, you're probably magnetizing yourself to that. Now, that being said, one of the things that I didn't like about The Secret, my criticism of it is that it, it sort of did a, if if you didn't get the whole picture of that, you would start, I guess, victim blaming, right? Where you would say, well, if you're experiencing 
negativity in your life because you just didn't pray hard enough or you didn't think hard enough or you, it's your own emotional fault. And I, I guess my answer to that would be that there's a lot of different types of fate in uh, our classical understanding of it. One is called Hemermene. And I had, there's a really great lecture from Rob Hand from U, United Astrology Conference 2018 that I was at. Um, I believe he read my chart in that in that talk. So if you want to see little baby astrologer Spencer geeking out about having Rob Hand read his chart at a, the biggest astrology conference in the world, you can buy that talk. <laughs> like, um, but he talked about Hemermeni as the astrology or the the fate, the type of fate that we're born into, like our body, like how tall we are. Um, where we were born, who our parents were, those are things that we just don't have control over. Um, and, and eventually, we, we, he was talking about the, astral, or the, the type of fate called a nanke, which is the type of fate that we experience through what he called our ignorance or a blind spot, where we're just living out the pattern of our chart without having any awareness of what's going on. Um, and then he, he, he brought it full circle with the fate that we create from pronoia, which is through our, our foreknowledge, through our wisdom, through our awareness of what we're experiencing. So I think that when we're doing this kind of intention work, there are certain things in your life that are, that are a limitation that you're working within. There are other parts that through your awareness and through your intention, you can start nudging things. This is really part of the, the, the manifestation magic mantra is we're nudging things in a direction, hopefully, that it can go into. And there is a process. There's a gap from point A to point B sometimes. The key is not saying, oh, well, I, I made this intention and I expect the manifestation right away. <laughs> you know, like sometimes you still have to work within the, the, the process of nature and how that wants to play out. And sometimes you don't just set the intention, do nothing. I mean, at this point, what I would do is set the intention really get in, in alignment with the intention and then start paying attention to where the divine leads you and what action would most support that rather than saying, I'm going to do this to, to force this into existence. Because I think that's where we get off with all the manifestation stuff. So remember that there's going to be a gap between intent and manifestation there's a lot of hard work sometimes in between those two things and let yourself be guided by the process. And when you're guided, then you have to take action on that, that what you're guided towards, if that makes sense. Um, let's see. Christopher says intention from an honest and real place. Yes. Yes. We have to be, we have to be a pure channel, right? We have to try to get rid as much as we can of some of the ego manifestations and maybe some of our darker impulses potentially that may be blocking uh, a purer form of the manifestation. Um, it's hard to do. We're, we're all human. We all fall short of the glory. We all have instincts that come up that maybe are more base instincts that are difficult to process. And you shouldn't feel guilty for that. You should just feel aware of it, feel it, maybe let it go and return back to a more centered type of feeling. This is part of the, the beauty of meditation is it's not that you're trying to deny the thoughts that come into you or, or, or the feelings. It's just like being aware of them, but not hanging on to them. A lot of times we tend to chew on stuff. We like really like hold on to it with like this grip. Like we, 
I know for me, if I have a problem that's really bothering me, sometimes I'll just grind on it. I'll chew on it. I'm like, I have to find a solution to this. And oftentimes with my 12th house sun and Mercury, the solution comes when I just like go, I surrender. I don't have a good answer to this. Please help me universe. Because a lot of times I'm just getting out of my own way. And then the solution comes of it, of its own volition. So yes, Christopher, intention from an honest and real place. Tarya T is here from Finland. William, welcome, William, William, Tarya, <laughs> welcome to you. Uh, Susanna says, general question about reading for people. Natal chart with transits is already an ocean of symbols. When and in what order do you use solar return, secondary progression, and other ways of predicting? That's a good question. So I'm going to see if I can break this down for you. Okay. Let me pull a natal chart up again. I'm just, again, I'll just use my own chart, for example. I mean, I can, if you really want, I can use your chart, Susanna, if you want to share your chart, I have it. But if you don't, that's okay. Let me know in the chat. Um, so if I was saying, if Spencer Michaud came to me for a reading, this is so meta right now, I would, the first thing that I do is I make sure that I understand the natal chart and the natal promise itself. This is why before, uh, earlier this year, I was recommending that people schedule a natal reading with me before they schedule a transit reading. Now, I've since taken that off of there because I don't want to like, you know, drive people away from scheduling stuff with me. Um, so Susanna says, yes, I can share your chart. Okay. So I'm going to bring up Susanna's chart and I could see, I'm going to look at what uh, I would look at if Susanna came to me as a client, okay, and what we would talk about. Now, Susanna is a client of mine, so I know some things about her life already, but I'll just tell you archetypally what's going on here. So this is Susanna's chart from, uh, oh man, I can't pronounce the city that you were born in. Susanna, I apologize. Someday I'm going to learn uh, the fin the Finnish language. Here, I'm going to try to butcher this. Jaivaskala. Is that right? Jaivaskala? Is that, am I anywhere in the ballpark with that? <laughs> anyway, um, so what what I would do first for Susanna's chart, and for those of you listening in the audio later, July 8th, 1971, she's born in the the day after me, I'm born July 7th, 1980, 9, 10 p.m., Jaivaskala, Finland, J-Y-V-A-S-K-Y-L-A, okay? <laughs> She's laughing. <laughs> this is how much I butchered it. <laughs> like, sorry, I'm a I'm an ignorant American, and I don't know how to pronounce things. I tried to actually use the Finnish language in my stories, uh, and I ended up saying something really weird. She, she corrected me, which I'm always happy to, to be corrected in that way. But what I would do is I would say, okay, what is the, if I'm looking at Susanna's chart, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to break down what is, what is cyclical for her. Because anytime we're looking at transits, the natal promise is 100% the most important thing that's going on because what we're experiencing from a transit is always going to trigger what's happening in our natal chart from birth, okay? Or, for, you know, further down the line from the progress chart. 
but I'm always going to start with the natal chart. So I would, I would notice in her chart, and when I go through my notes, um, I do like, I always start with the ascendant, and I say, okay, what is the helm of the ascendant? So Susanna has a three degree Capricorn ascendant, which is related to the, the, the two of pentacles, the first decan of Capricorn, and it's ruled by Saturn at two degrees of Gemini in the sixth house. So this is the thing that's guiding the ship of her life. It's guiding, you know, the decisions that she's making, her sense of self. Um, and so if I'm combining the stories between that, I've got the two of pentacles, right? I've, and so I'll find this for you and I'll show you what I would do with the client. And, and I've got the eight of swords. So two of pentacles is Capricorn one, eight of swords is Gemini one. So we've got somebody who is juggling many different potential projects or even locations. There is a theme with this decan about what is the best place, the physical place to, to lay down a foundation, okay? And with Saturn in the, the first decan of Gemini, there may be a lot of mental um, exploration that comes with finding the right physical place. There may be a, a feeling of feeling paralyzed by so many different options. And maybe even in Susanna's case, so many different talents. Like Susanna's a musician, she's a painter, she's a mother, she's a dancer, you know, she does all these wonderful things. So finding where to put her energy may have been something that has caused her maybe even some sleepless nights at times. And we've talked about this as a, in, in, our, in our stuff and when we've talked in the past. So that would be the first thing that I would do. I, I would also kind of take a look at which decan the Ascendant's in. And in Astro Gold, I can also bring up what type of bound that this is in also. So if I do it with the terms, with the Egyptian terms here, now you can see I've got the term rulers here. So she is, her ascendant's in the decan of Jupiter, but it's in the terms of Mercury. And that's really important for Hellenistic astrologers, for the kind of person that, you know, you, you may turn out to be is the terms of your ascendant. With a person with the ascendant in the terms of Mercury, there's a curiosity and a flexibility to that person. I, I have my ascendant in the terms of Mercury, so I, I, I like to communicate and be flexible with, with what I'm doing. Um, so that's always the first thing that I do. So, so it's important to get the natal story. And, and I will do this for each individual um, planet, uh, personal planet, traditional planet. I will say, okay, now that we know that Saturn is the helm and driving the ship of this person's life, where is it going to be providing its resources for? In Susanna's case, it is providing resources for the first house of her sense of self, her body, and also her second house of her resources and how she supports herself. So Saturn is going to be acting through the sixth house of maybe hardship, maybe injury or illness, um, potentially through doing a lot of work that you don't get credit for for a long period of time. Although I think Susanna is starting, people are starting to recognize her talent. Um, and, and that's going to provide the substance for those two areas of life. And I go through with, with every 
traditional planet. Let's say I looked at the sun here in the seventh house. I look at where it's at, where it's taking its action, and where it's providing for. So she's got a seventh house sun that is providing energy and significations for the eighth house, right? And I believe that Susanna is, um, you know, does music with her partner and it has a, a, a really nice relationship and as far as like being able to do music together so you could see like being uh in a in a unified position with the seventh house that's a, a way to find identity is through that partnership and through you know being in a band and doing things like that as well so that's just kind of like a a, a starting point and I, and what i will do is i will look for all the fixed stars that may be present i look at the story of the decans it takes me about two to two and a half hours to prep a natal reading and i recently extended the time that my my just my basic natal readings are to two hours because it's just a lot of information i have to share and the first thing that i'll do when i read for people is i want them to tell me their story like i i, I don't i don't feel like i'm performing some magic trick where someone's going to say prove to me that this is real by telling me everything that's happened in my life that I don't think that's useful. I, I can I can do that, I guess, if you want me to, although it's not going to always be as specific as people want for quote unquote proof, because we, we're dealing with archetypes which can manifest in very different ways for different people. Um, gr granted, the Hellenistic techniques can get pretty specific, so I, I do think that there is some specificity we can attain, but ultimately, when someone comes to me for a reading, it's not so that they're impressed by my knowledge. It's because they have a real problem that they want to work out and that they're really trying to find some peace of mind and some, some truth and find the archetypal pattern that they are living through. So I, I think that always we spend time being able to talk about how these archetypes manifested throughout your personal history. And that takes some time to uncover. And once we've been able to establish that story, we can see how those archetypes are contributing to that story. Because again, I really feel that we, uh, we play out these stories over and over and over again, and different planets are going to trigger those, those stories. You know, Franklin earlier today was asking me about the Jupiter Kazemi on his Mars. There may be times in the past where maybe Franklin had a really uh, expansive vision and he really put a lot of energy towards something, but maybe maybe because it was on that fixed star, Achernar, maybe there was some place where the vision was grander than what was possible. And that may be triggered again by this Kazemi. So knowing that, you have to kind of kind of circle around. Now, with that knowledge, maybe uh, Franklin will be able to, to um, have a vision that is more uh, able to be carried out. And with that knowledge, he can say, okay, I, I don't want to shoot you know, too high like Phaethon, because that could lead to a downfall. But, but I, I definitely can still be a dreamer. You know? um, so th that's the first thing. I hope that's helping to answer this question here, um, Susanna. And I hope that we're everyone is still interested in what we're doing here. Um, let me know in the chat if you're still with me and if this is, if there's some clarity with this. Uh, 
so so as far as the, the order of operations okay uh we will i'll look at the natal promise i will then if they come to me for a transit reading overlap a solar return on top of that i'm going to look at the time lord of the perfected house both in the natal chart and the solar return and then i will look at secondary progressions just to see if there's anything important going on there like a like a progressed new moon or a progressed full moon or an activation with the chart so natal chart first i look at the solar return next and then i i see if there's any connections with the secondary progression after that um, and then you can also add in techniques like the Fedaria. Uh, you can add in things like the, the zodiacal releasing. I always do look at zodiacal releasing. The main thing I'm looking for is a, an L1 change, a level one period change, or, or sometimes a level two period, but mostly a, a, on the big picture scale. And I always look for loosing of the bonds on the first or second level, because those can be really tumultuous times. Um, and a lot of the way that we uh, aspire towards meaning will shift due to a level one um, from spirit zodiacal releasing. Okay. Let me look through the chat here. Good, good. People are still with me. Um, Dimphi is saying, don't know, uh, don't know guy tells about stoicism, about astrology in the early Islamic world. Personally, think he is brilliant, and he uses nice art. Which guy is that? Abu Mashar? We'll have to get clarity on that. Um, Raven says, with all of the recommended reading in Nightlight Year One, I've been buying all these books. This third house perfection year is, has me skimming through so much material. Yeah, third house is really, it, it definitely is associated with learning and going through a learning process. Um, and yes, there, you know, Achuta gives a lot of great book recommendations in his courses as well. And I, a lot of the material that I got turned on to was through, through going through the process with, with that program as well. So another great resource for that. Um, Achuta does a great job with that. Um, Diffie says, and JJ, I'm not rebellious, but as a Gemini Virgo Pisces, highly curious and interested. Yeah, let some combination of Mercury and Jupiter placements there. Um, Susanna says, Raven, I also has a third, I also have a third house perfection year. So yeah, we're, we're third housing out right here today. <laughs> um, two, yes, Raven is saying two middle decking cancers in a third house year. So it's a, it's a love fest with the cancer twos in, in the audience today. Um, okay. Remco says, hi from the Netherlands, been silently listening here already ordered some books and enjoying the information and wisdom you put out there. Well, thank you, Remco. It's always nice to hear from you in the chat. And I'm glad that I've been able to turn you on to some new, some new sources. Um, it's always fun to be able to share sources and material. It's something that I really, I'm always happy to do. And um, maybe we'll do more book, book sharings because I'm going to buy more books <laughs> between you and me. One other one that I've, I'm excited to dive into that it's been on my list for a while, but I'd never pulled the trigger on it is this one right here, Saturn and Melancholy. I believe Achuta recommended this a while back or, or one of his guests recommended it. I believe Matthew Kenny was into this book. And I recently saw um, Ann Ortley, had had ordered this. I didn't realize how large it was. It's 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 a beast. 
Um, but pretty interesting stuff. And again, making time for all of it is really the key. How do you set aside time to read all this stuff? But that's a great one for Saturn if you're getting into Saturn stuff. And I think we all should uh, because, you know, he's uh, an important planet to work with. Um, Dimphy says, the guy on from the YouTube channel, Let's Talk Religion, Academic Videos. Is that the name of the, the channel, Let's Talk Religion? If that is, then maybe put a link in the chat box here. I'd be curious to check it out because there, there is some great resources for this. There's another channel that I like when I was teaching um, a mythology course for, for kids at a homeschool program a few years ago. Um, I'm trying to remember what it's called. It's, it's John Green. Um, what was it? If you look up John or, and, and I believe Henry Green, it's a really well-made um, anim like animated series that they, they, all sorts of topics from mythology to philosophy um, I'm, I, the name is escaping me right now. If anybody knows in the chat box, please, um, please tell me. Um, and thank you, Susanna, for your super chat donation. Thank you all of you for being here and being so active here today. Um, yeah, John and Hank Green. What is the name? What is the name of that Remco? What is the name of their channel that they have there? If you can help me with that. Um, if you want to support the work that I'm doing here, the first thing you can do, just please do me a favor and like this video so we can get it out to the algorithm and have everything going well. Leave a comment for us. That always is very helpful. Subscribe to the channel. If you want to make a donation to the work that we're doing here today, you can do a super chat in the chat here um, with the little dollar sign in the chat. That's always helpful. Or you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com if you're coming in after the fact. Or schedule a reading. You know, that's, that's another great way to support the work that I do. Schedule a reading, um, sign up for the webinars so we can work together in that capacity. And um, Vlog Brothers, let me see. I'm going to look this up because I, I want to share this. What is it? John Green, Hank Green. What is this called? The Green Brothers. Um, let me see. The Flog Brothers. I guess that's what it's called now, but it, they, they, there was a different, um, a different thing. Crash Course. Oh my God, <laughs> so easy. <laughs> crash Course. Yeah. So they, they really well done. You know, Crash Course with the Green Brothers, um, and he's produced all sorts of interesting stuff. I'm really a huge fan of their work. And that's a great way to get an introduction to the myths and like basic philosophical concepts as well. If you look at Crash Course on YouTube, there's all sorts of cool stuff from that. Um, ch checking in with the chat here, it says, Remco says, really love the example from Susanna. I have my ascendant at six degrees Capricorn, recognized a lot. Yeah, that's important. So, so just getting back to how specific it can be, you will find unification with having a similar decan to Susanna. With, with weighing out where's the right place to put down roots. But you also have to really pay attention to where Saturn's placed in your chart to give you more specificity as far as what that process is going to look like for you, excuse me, for you personally. So that, that's why, you know, astrology is just, it's complicated, you know? I mean, it's simple, but also like it's, it can, you can go as in far in depth as you, as you want with it, really. Um, 
Kobabs Colette is here. Uh, said, can recommend Donna Cunningham's Astrology and Vibrational Healing for Saturn and Pluto Issues, 1988. Thank you, Colette, for that recommendation. I, I'm, I'm always looking for more um, Saturn and Pluto type of stuff because a lot of times when those, those things will trigger really difficult stuff in our chart. So anytime that we can get more information about how to grab navigate those things gracefully, the better. So thank you for that. Susanna says, this fox is so funny. <laughs> this fox, fox in the chat box here. Thanks for speaking Finnish. Good job. I'm, well, I'm trying my best. I will learn the pronunciation things of this. You've got all these like, what are those called? Um, umlas or some little, two little dots before the letters. We don't have anything like that in, in American English. And you've got so many vowels in here that I don't know what's going on with this, but it's not your fault. It's definitely our ignorance. So we'll try our best and um, bear with my my American accent here. Um, Lynn is saying cap rising with Saturn in the first house. Yeah, I mean, again, that's it's another thing where the the boundaries that come in, the limitations may be physical. They may be through uh, having a, a body uh, limitation or, or having really having to endure uh, some kind of physical thing. Um, I've had some clients in the past that have had some physical issues with Saturn that was not really well aspected in the in the chart or, or well dignified. Um, that they, they, they struggle with that sometimes. Um, it could also be like through our own mental limitations as well because it, it is in the sense of self. But if you have Saturn and Capricorn in the first house. Um, depending on if it's a night or a day chart, that can lead you to have some really a, a toughness to you that, that that over time you will learn to live within the limitations that you have and, and even thrive from them. A lot of the times Saturn provides the container for Jupiter to be able to beget from, to create from, right? The blueprint of idealized forms that Jupiter can say, oh, I'm going to bring 10 horses into existence from this one idealized form that maybe Saturn might be providing. So uh, that's how I think of the relationship between Saturn and Jupiter now. And it's nice to like think about that in your own chart. What blueprint is Saturn trying to provide and how is Jupiter going to play it out? I'll give you an example of this. In my own chart, I have uh, Saturn in Virgo 3. Okay, So that, that decan is all about passing on wisdom, okay, and, and being able to figure out what stays and what goes, preserving things against the ravages of time. And for me, it's in the second house, so I, I collect all this stuff to preserve it against the ravages of time. But I, I have Jupiter in the first decan of Virgo, which is on a fixed star called Thuban, which is the hoarding dragon. <laughs> like, so I'm hoarding all these books. But the lesson for me in that is sharing that wisdom. I can't hoard the wisdom. I can buy the books, but I share the wisdom. And Virgo 1 is about being an eternal student. So for me to pass on the legacy that Saturn wants to, to beget into, in my life, right, that wants to pass on, I need to keep learning and keep my humility and saying, I don't have it all figured out just yet. I need to explore more. And that's really Virgo 1 is saying it, it, it's the aid of pentacles, the apprentice of an advanced age. I will always be an apprentice until my final days. Um, and I share from a place of, of apprenticeship because my learning will never be completed. So that's how Jupiter is going to create from the blueprint that Saturn is trying to provide in my life of what I can become in my maturity, someone who has passed on 
wisdom and, and, and you've been able to preserve it against the ravages of time. Okay, let's see. Um, Susanna says, I can recommend getting a reading from Spencer. Well, you got another mini one today, so <laughs> which I'm happy to do. This is, this is, I hope this is my gift to all of you today on the Jupiter Kazemi is just sharing wisdom, looking at some charts. I hope maybe we can do this a little bit more. This is fun. I really, I really enjoy the free form of this. Um, quite bright is here. Welcome says this Jupiter Kazemi is happening in my first house. On the last Jupiter Kazemi in Pisces in 2010, I met my future husband. Wow, that's awesome. Well, I hope that for the sake of you and your current husband, that it brings you peace and joy and prosperity. And maybe there'll be a, a, a cycle of a renewal, maybe a renewal of your vows or your commitment to one another, potentially with this Jupiter Kazemi happening in your first house again. Uh, Diffie says, Virgo 1, being an internal student, I know I get clarity wide, sun 3 degrees and Pluto 7. Yeah, so Diffie, you and I are on the wavelength. So you've got Pluto right on my Jupiter here, and you are living, you find identity through that eternal student. Like any time your sun is in a particular decan, that's where we say, this is who I am. This is how I identify, right? Whereas if Jupiter is there, like I have, Jupiter in a day chart could say, this is how I'm going to bring honor and merit into my life is through teaching, through learning. How am I going to bring the blueprint of Saturn into physical reality? Because it's sort of like a, you know, it, it's working on behalf of the sun, right? And you can, you can connect all of those three things. So for me, with the sun and the first, uh, second decan of cancer, I'm trying to create a nurturing fertile environment for people to learn. And then Saturn and Jupiter are going to be the, the, the people that are kind of the people. Yeah, the people, the, the deities that are going to help enact that vision. And if you're a, a night chart, the moon is going to give you a more of a vision of what your life is going to be, the main theme of your life is going to be. And then Venus and Mars are going to help play that story out. Venus by attracting things, like attracting good support and the good, the good things in life. And Mars is going to help protect the vulnerability of the moon and help you to take action towards what the moon is requiring. So always look at those things uh, together. Um, quite bright. I hope so. Thank you, Spencer. Thank you, Quite Bright. I hope so too. I, I wish you well with that. Raymond says, yes, this has been so fun. Um, Lynn says, my son is in Virgo. One, eternal student. Yes, we got lots of Virgo ones here. I'm popular with the Virgo crowd <laughs> because it's so detailed. Um, uh, Kim's astro healing. Welcome, Kim. Jupiter Kazemi happening in my eighth house. So maybe some, some resources of your partner getting a renewal or potentially a legacy that's been left from maybe an inheritance or something like that coming into your life. So uh, all, all sorts of things. Anything that you share resources with others could be uh, getting a, a boost from the Kazemi today. Um, Fian says, whoa, you're still going. Yeah, I think I'm going to wrap it up in a minute here, Fian. But uh, this is what happens when you have a Taurus moon. You just keep on going like the Energizer Bunny. But I'm having fun with this. So I'm going as long as I can have fun. And as long as my blood sugar <laughs> will allow me to do. Um, Diffie says, perhaps, therefore, some difficulty around this according to acceptance from the outside world. Yeah, I think that Jupiter, Jupiter in, in Virgo in particular, 
I think that we sometimes we feel like maybe we're never enough and we have to continue to pursue more and more and more knowledge. This is kind of a Virgo thing is not feeling content, not feeling satisfied like we might if we had a Pisces sun or a Pisces Jupiter, right? Um, so I think that for our Virgo friends out there, learning to relax a little bit into a flow state is a good lesson. It's a good lesson for me, 100%. Uh, Remco says, Jupiter Kazemi is happening conjunct my natal Jupiter, 16 degrees being in a Jupiter perfected year, really wondering what sort of lightning flash will ignite. Remco, that's incredible. What house is that happening in? Uh, maybe we can flush it out a little bit or suss it out. But that's an incredible aspect, and that's an incredible Jupiter. That is a very well-dignified Jupiter. So maybe you could teach us Virgo folks about how to let go and, and let God every once in a while, right, and manifest from a place of hopeful expectation without dictating how it's going to manifest, right? Um, Kim's Astral Healing says, resources for my partner. Yes, exactly. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, Colette says, me too, Spencer, Taurus, Moon. Yeah, so you have the endurance to 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 go to go all out for for your public today as well. Like, I have my Taurus moon is exactly conjunct my midheaven in the second decade of Taurus. And there is sort of a, I would say that when I get rolling on something, it's hard for me to stop. And I, if I'm enjoying something even more so. So I think that it, it, uh, there is a, an endurance quality to that moon, but I think we're all having fun here. So we'll, we'll see where it takes us. Fionn says, never thought of Taurus moon as sustained energy, but now that I think of it, it's like a trail mix in your back pocket of placements. Yeah, I wish I had some trail mix right now <laughs> because that would sustain me because I'd get a little punchy towards the, I think the, maybe the, the end window where I would probably be eating my lunch right now. That's the weakness of a Taurus moon is if you get hungry, that's when your, all your superpowers start to fade. Um, but yes, so third house for Remco with Jupiter. So J Remco has a Remco has a Capricorn ascendant with Jupiter ruling the third house and the twelfth house. So potentially Remco, I think that your learning experience would be well suited by making sure that you have time to rest and that you have time to almost be in like a like an ashram type environment where you can be able to have meditation time and be able to have um, just some really good alone time every once in a while may really help bring you the insights that you are looking for during this time of year. So having that, that, that creative space is a great way to do 12th house well. Um, the other thing that I would say though, is that your secret enemy with Jupiter there, maybe over again, overshooting the mark. So, Make sure that as you're going through your wishing process that you stay connected to reality. And I don't think you'll have a problem with that, with that nice Capricorn ascendant with Saturn in the first house, my friend. So um, what an interesting combination of placements there, Remco. That is very cool. Uh, Remco says, I've been swung around in life quite a bit, always been able to trust life and will open doors when it is needed. Yeah, that's Jupiter and Pisces too in a nutshell. Um, yeah, Remco says this is that me time is very important. I have a dedicated room to that. Yes, every twelfth house placement type person needs a little cave to escape to. I'm in mine right now. This is my space where if I, I can go to, and I have a nice uh, chair that I just got over here. That's like a my Leo throne, <laughs> you know, that I read and a nice reading light, and now a table to support all these things and. 
Uh, the next thing I need to do is make everything a little bit more er ergonomically supportive because I've been, my wrist is starting to hurt when I take notes and things like that. So any ergonomic recommendations in the chat, um, I would appreciate as well. Uh, Fion says, I have Jupiter in the sixth and have my exact Jupiter return near the end of the month. Okay, so Fion, you are, if you're doing whole sign houses, uh, you're a Libra rising. Is that correct? Okay. Um, so having a Jupiter return in Pisces, which is nice, right? At the end of the month, maybe pretty close to that Jupiter-Neptune conjunction, I'm guessing. So take good care of your health. And um, I'm trying to figure out what is your, I think your third house would also be bringing into play. So the daily routines and daily habits that you are experiencing um, are important. So figuring out what is worth sacrificing in your daily routine, maybe there's something important that you want to carry out or some project or a new health routine, um, and figure out what stays and what goes, especially towards the full moon and at your Jupiter return, uh, would be really important. Um, you know, this Jupiter Neptune thing is could probably leave us a little bit spent, I think, too. So maybe preserve your energy as well if you can. Um, Beyond says, correct, Libra rising. Yes, so it's amazing the work we can do with whole sign houses, how simple it becomes, right? Tarya T says, I have Jupiter Kazemi in my ninth house, opposite Saturn in the second decan of Virgo. Let me think about that. So you are a, uh, let's see. Sit. Are you a Leo rising, Tarya? Leo ascendant? Jupiter Kazemi in the ninth would suggest uh, Cancer rising. But you say it's opposing Saturn in the second. Oh, in the second decade. Okay, so I, I interpreted that as the second house. So I, I do think Tarya would be a Cancer rising potentially with this Jupiter Kazemi in the ninth. So maybe a new spiritual practice, a new uh, philosophical belief system is being seeded today. Maybe some of the book suggestions would be good of, of pursuing, and um, or maybe you're making some travel plans. You know, maybe there's some some travel that's happening potentially around this. But opposing second deck and Saturn in Virgo, um, maybe bringing a little bit of stress about the details, the the how. But I think it's important release the how. Um, get in, it's really important to get in touch with just the feeling at this point. The how is going to come to you. And if you can release the how, um, the manifestation may surprise you and for the better. Thank you, Remco, for your super sticker. I appreciate you and I appreciate all of you. All right, my friends, I think that that is about as long as my blood sugar is going to allow. This has been so much fun for me. This is very, very exciting. Maybe we should do this once a month or something like that. I don't know. We'll see what I have time for. Um, but what I wanted to say is that thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you that have joined me today. Thank you for all of your amazing questions, for your wonderful book recommendations, uh, just for holding space together with me here today. I was a little nervous. My, my Virgo-ness was like, is anybody going to show up for this? Like, <laughs> this is a new thing. So I really appreciate all of you being here and bringing your energy and your good intentions. 
Um, again, if you want it, the, the first thing you can do to support the work I'm doing, just hit the like button for the algorithm, subscribe to the channel. If you're listening to this later, leave me a comment in the comment section. That always drives traffic. Uh, if you want to make a donation, you can make a, a super chat in the final seconds here, or you can donate to buymecoffee.com. There's a link in the description of this video. You all are amazing. Please hold space for those of us in the world um, that are experiencing hardship and pain and, and suffering right now. Please hold peace and just please get to your own center and come into alignment with that emotional peace, even if it's for a small period of time today during the Jupiter Kazemi. I really do have faith that that can, if we all are able to put that energy of peace and harmony out into the world, we can move mountains. And I don't always say that. Sometimes I get really realistic about coming to terms with reality, but I think today is special. And I think that if we put that energy of peace uh, out there, I think we're going to be doing a lot of good in the world. So I'm saying prayer for all of you, uh, wherever you are, and putting the intention right now of this peacefulness and restoring balance and order and harmony to our world and being able to, you know, be a united planet, you know, and appreciating one another and our interconnectedness and all of the things that we share as a species, as a community, as a even as a hive mind sometimes. I, I that's so much beauty out there that is waiting for us to discover. And I think if we hold that in our intentions today, um, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So that's what I've got for you today, my friends. Thank you so much for being with me today. Uh, I will see you uh, in a couple weeks. I'm going to be doing a full moon live stream with my friend Mercurius George on the 16th of March. Well, we're going to break down the full moon in Virgo, opposing the Pisces sun. And please, if you want to join me on the Deccans of Virgo on the 12th of March, um, I would love to see you there. So uh, take care, my friends. Be kind to one another. Be kind to yourself. Let's put some good energy out into the world today. Take care. Peace.